Hello, everyone. I am Sean Dubrovac from Avrio Institute. And I'm Ross Rubin at Radical Research. Welcome back to another episode of Techspansive. It's uh, shaping up to be the Microsoft Samsung show this week. We had major announcements from uh, Samsung. Of course, they launched a, a series of new devices that we'll dive into. Uh, we also continue to follow the rumors of Microsoft's plan to potentially buy the U.S. assets of, of TikTok. And we uh, had another announcement from Microsoft that they're cutting their xCloud iOS testing early. And we'll uh, dive into some of the reasons for that. But first, let's look at everything that Samsung announced this week, a number of uh, new and updated devices. From Samsung, we have the newest addition to their Galaxy Note collection, the Note 20 and Note 20 Ultra. We also saw the introduction of their newest tablet, the Tab S7. And finally, we saw the new edition and upgraded edition of the Galaxy Z Fold 2. Ross, why don't we start off with talking about what we saw in mobile phones and, and do mobile phones even matter in a world <laughs> where uh, we're not on the go? I liked Joanna Stern's take on this, that uh, we've got a, a, a great computer in our pocket if only we needed a computer in our pocket. And, uh, and I think that speaks to you know, the, the time horizon on new devices, that it, you know, you're looking at nine month to 12 month design cycles for these smartphones. They're definitely in a rhythm. So they continue to put out new smartphones in the cadence that they have historically followed, though the, the market is clearly changing for what we need. And, and if this pandemic were to continue for some time, even longer than, than it has, I, I think you'd really start to see device manufacturers rethink what devices should be because uh, we've obviously seen a lot of demand for uh, what i'll call fixed devices monitors printers computers webcams. yeah webcams laptops all of those things yeah uh, so what it's, we're a, it's a great point yeah uh, i was going to say it's a great point sean and i i wonder even looking at categories that kind of uh, straddle that home mobile scenario such as la uh, notebooks uh, whether we've seen a move toward kind of beefier, heavier uh, laptops with bigger screens than perhaps, uh, you know, the so-called nomadic professionals uh, would, would be purchasing in the past. Um, you know, uh, I, I think that as uh, we move toward the end of the year and, and uh, in, into 2021, the, the later in the, in the cycle that companies are introducing, the stronger the case for uh, investment, personal or professional, because the expectations are that there will be, you know, some kind of vaccine broadly available by uh, maybe early next year. I'll, I'll be a, a little more conservative than, you know, some things I've seen out there uh, early next year, or perhaps uh, hopefully at, at the latest spring of next year. Uh, and so, uh, you know, once we hit next uh, summer, uh, we should, um, you know, we, we should see some pent-up demand kick in for things like business travel and vacations and uh, scenarios where mobility is at a, a premium again. Um, but the note, uh, 
the note, I would say, uh, you know, this was a, a continuation of the kinds of things they've been doing, a lot of focus on the stylus. Um, as with any flagship device these days, a lot of focus on the display and the, and the camera, uh, you know, things that, that Samsung does uh, arguably better than anyone. But, um, uh, but you know, the question is, with, with, the, with the, a mid-range that keeps getting more and more impressive, how do they justify that that thousand dollar plus premium? Uh, I, I think some of the other things that they announced, uh, even though that was their mainstream announcement, I kind of like some of the things they're doing in the tablet space. They've kind of fallen behind uh, compared to uh, well, they were they were certainly far behind the iPad for a long time, and now I think in terms of mindshare, they've even fallen behind the surface. They're kind of the last brand standing when it comes to Android tablets and. Uh, the, the silver lining for them there is that they have a little more flexibility to, to innovate and differentiate, and they're doing things like putting more of a desktop environment on, uh, on their tablets. Uh, they're, they're doing clever things with embedding the stylus. Uh, I think they're, you know, they've long packed in the keyboard, so they have a, a value play there. They're doing three... Um, uh, up to three apps on the screen at a time. They're allowing it to be used as an external monitor for Windows PCs. So uh, I think some interesting work going on there, although uh, again, the whole, uh, even though I saw something from our old friend Steve Baker that high-end Android tablets are enjoying something of, of a renaissance now in sales, uh, you know, by and large, it's been kind of a, a troubled subcategory. Uh, and I think that, uh, you know, the, the new earbuds look good. No one here, again, has been able to really touch Apple uh, in terms of the volume. Uh, I think competitively, they, they were far behind in not offering the noise canceling. Uh, that is a feature that I think people have embraced working from home. So, uh, so that, may, that may have some, uh, uh, some appeal there. And then uh, the, the Fold. Uh, I, I think that uh, it, it's not quite the black eye they took with the exploding Note 7, but the, the original Fold was kind of a troubled launch. We talked about it quite a bit on the podcast. Uh, new technology is going to take a little while to mature. Uh, there's a switch from plastic to ultra-thin glass uh, that, uh, that should create a better resiliency. They've completely re-engineered the, um, uh, the hinge uh, you know, so that it's more robust. They added a bigger front display, which makes a lot of sense because, you know, even though these things can unfold, you're still using it as a uh, standard phone most of the time. So you want that full functionality. Um, so they're going to be revealing more details about uh, this device in early September. Uh, but, uh, but it looks like they've uh, gone through a lot of effort to address some of the deficiencies of the first one. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and again, I think in the midst of a pandemic, a foldable phone is is maybe less of a uh, must-have device. Especially a recessionary pandemic. That's right. That's right. Yeah, so it yeah. comes into a very difficult marketplace, given uh, and, and also given that the technology isn't uh, yet where it will be in, in years to come. Um, I, I agree with your assessment that this idea that we might be looking for bigger screens, and that's probably what's driving a lot of the, the tablet interest, is we need uh, 
you know, what I'll call portable computing as opposed to really mobile computing. We need to be able to uh, quickly vacate the room we might be working in and, and mm-hmm. uh, run to a different room as kids or other things happen, as spouses jump on their own Zoom calls, they want to be able to maybe move to a different room. And so you're, you're not wanting a fixed desktop setup, perhaps, but you do want a larger laptop screen or you want a, a tablet. I mean, we did see Samsung introduce some connectivity that will allow it to wirelessly connect directly to the, the smartphones, especially Samsung, uh, excuse me, yeah, to television. Uh, TVs. TVs. Yeah, smart yeah. TVs, especially Samsung TVs. Uh, so I could see that being kind of useful in a in a work from home pandemic type environment, but uh, I think higher priced mobile devices have had a hard time, anyways. Uh, and you look at, you know, as the market becomes saturated, companies are looking at how do I differentiate, and when the technology changes aren't growing quite as rapidly as they once were. And the, uh, to, to your point, the mid-tier options are pretty good at a lower price point. Uh, you know, you start to see them try to differentiate with colors or with, you know, other things. It reminds me of kind of what, what the peak of the digital camera market looked like, where it was, oh, these are all really pretty satisfactory megapixel devices and so here's one in red here's one that's waterproof here's one that you know does this or does this they were they were looking at more nuanced uh mar- what i'll call marginal changes and differentiations so mm-hmm. i think it is yeah. a, a tough market that, that's when they start to brand things as lifestyle devices that's right right that's right. Uh, the um yeah the, the one one uh, bit of marketing that that fascinated a, a few people on twitter including me uh, was they described the new color, uh, one of their new colors, I, I think it's mystic bronze, as gender neutral. I'm sorry, gender fluid, gender fluid. So, uh, uh, you know, I, I guess we can be happy that they didn't assign the color or gender uh, at time of manufacture and they're, they're being uh, progressive that way. But uh, I'm not quite sure what they, what they meant by that. Uh, I, I think they just meant gender agnostic, uh, maybe, or... Um, but uh, but that that was, that was an interesting, I guess, uh, on topic yet um, you know kind of unusual way to to refer to to a color or a phone. And so. we see that color brand managers have uh, job security in the midst of a pandemic. All everyone who has to come up with the marketing copy for all of these right. new differentiated colors. Perhaps, perhaps not so mystic yeah. after all. Um, uh, you know, one of the uh, other points of differentiation, uh, particularly for this device, the Note, Samsung has long promoted its use as a business tool, a productivity tool. Uh, and last year, they announced uh, a partnership with Microsoft that seems to be going strong, uh, despite uh, Microsoft uh, imminently entering the Android market again with, with its own device that uh, I'm sure we'll be talking about here in the future, uh, the Surface Duo. Uh, in fact, I'm sure we, we've already chatted about it. Uh, but, uh, you know, a few, a few new features here. Samsung Notes is, of course, uh, kind of a, a key piece of software for the Note device. You can scribble in little notes as you, as you uh, talk to people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, you can now sync that with OneNote, which is sort of Microsoft's uh, catch-all 
repository for all the ephemera you may uh, capture in your in your life and in your work. So I think that that makes total sense for both companies. Uh, in some ways, the more fascinating option is the ability to uh, run a number of apps from your Galaxy Android apps on your Windows 10 device. So we're seeing this blurring of operating systems now between Windows and Android. Uh, at least for now, the Android apps are on a separate device, but I've written previously about the idea of Microsoft perhaps supporting Android apps wholeheartedly on Windows. Uh, historically, Windows has had a real dearth of touch-first experiences. And while Android apps may sometimes lack a bit of polish, uh, they are at least designed for touch-based devices. Uh, and in addition, Microsoft, is it something or is coming into something of a competitive disadvantage uh, as their main desktop competitors, uh, Mac OS and Chrome OS, uh, adopt uh, mobile apps. So the new ARM-based uh, Macs will be able to run iPhone apps. And already today, Chromebooks can run Android apps. So, so you know, would it, does it act as a disincentive to develop native Windows applications? Perhaps, but there are many signs that Microsoft is caring a lot less uh, about that these days. Uh, they do care about touch experiences, and this would be, uh, you know, through through siphoning the apps, if you will, off the phone or supporting them natively a way to close that gap. You know, simply put, there are just a lot of simple things, paying someone through Venmo, ordering a Starbucks, you know, that, that you just can't do through web, uh, through, through the websites for these companies, but you can do through the mobile apps, you know, ordering an Uber. Um, why not make that functionality on the, available on the desktop? And I think we're going to see a lot more of that integration. Obviously, you see Microsoft and Samsung extending and deepening that partnership. We've talked on, on past episodes that as um, as Apple shifts to their own proprietary chip technology, that we'll probably see greater integration there. And so you'll be able to run mobile apps much more natively in the, the Mac environment. And, and I do think that functionality is really going to start to cross those lines. You're going to see a lot more of that, the mobile app taking place in, in that, what, what, you know, PC desktop laptop type environment. Um, you can see with the partnership that they'll allow you to essentially pin your Android apps right in your window 10 taskbar. So you'll have quick access right there from the start menu. And so to your point, doing these things that we do so naturally on our mobile device, but being able to do them while we're already at our keyboard makes a lot of sense. Another, I think, example of Microsoft's uh, embrace of Android, uh, again, in addition to their own phone that they're uh, rumored to be coming out with uh, imminently, uh, it comes from their Xbox uh, uh, gaming division that, uh, you know, they've been working on this xCloud service to allow uh, streaming games from, from the cloud, uh, an answer to the Stadia service that, uh, that Google has, uh, has launched. And uh, one thing that both of those um, services have in common is that it looks like you're not going to be able to run them on iOS uh, because they're, they, they somehow both run afoul of Apple's uh, iOS 
App Store guidelines now, it's not difficult to see why that would be the case. You're introducing a whole foreign uh, game ecosystem to compete with Apple's uh, native iOS apps as well as uh, Apple, their Apple Arcade service. Uh, on the other hand, you know, at least for the time being, the nature of the games, uh, essentially PC quality games or console quality games, are uh, quite different than the kinds of more casual things you would see on Apple Arcade. So I'm not quite sure when these regulations kicked in because I, I definitely remember previous attempts at doing this, services like OnLive, uh, where there was an iOS client. And I believe that uh, more recently there was a lesser known service called Shadow uh, that, uh, that had their app removed and then brought back. Uh, you know, there, there tends to be a lot of back and forth between Apple and developers on these, these kinds of conflicts. Uh, but for uh, major players, ecosystem rivals like, like Microsoft and Google uh, to, be, uh, to be locked out of iOS, uh, you know, that, uh, that, that's sure to continue to raise, uh, you know, regulatory uh, scrutiny. You know, it's kind of funny when, when we had uh, Amazon, Apple, Alphabet, and, and Facebook testifying uh, in Congress uh, the other week that, um, you know, there's a lot of discussion about the harm given to uh, harm allegedly uh, against uh, smaller developers but the guys that they're best at beating up uh, are each other, right? So um, uh, there's a lot, a lot of blocking, a lot of horse trading that, that seems to go on there. Uh, and, um, you know, th this is an example where, uh, you know, a Apple's, Apple's app rules uh, are preventing a service potentially from, from reaching uh, iOS customers. It also raises the question whether Apple will, will launch a competitive service, uh, which uh, they could certainly do. Uh, but, um, but for now, it, it, it seems that if you want to try these streaming game services on a mobile device or, or perhaps a tablet, uh, iOS, uh, Apple hardware is not going to be an option. Yeah, and I think it speaks to the much bigger story and, and bigger question is how proprietary do these environments stay uh, you know mm. early on in a competitive cycle it makes sense to have them somewhat proprietary because that's how you can then a attract users to your platform uh, you know and, and it's the trade-off of how commoditized the underlying hardware becomes uh, obviously iMessage is a, a key differentiator for Apple and yet there's been a lot of a lot of talk and a lot of um, desire to see if that might port to other things uh, arguably it was one of the things that if you look at the the blackberry model they right, kept, bbm yeah they kept bbm yeah. proprietary when perhaps had they opened that up earlier you know they they might be a different business today and so you do see apple trying to keep things proprietary to their system and they've always done that to some extent um, but they're doing that in an, an environment where uh, some of the, you know, we just talked about these gorgeous Samsung devices that, uh, you know, in some ways look like all of the other expensive smartphones that are, that are out there. And, and it's more difficult to differentiate the upgrades that are coming every nine to 12 months are, are less differentiated from the upgrades that we saw 
in the nine to 12 months prior to that. And so it, it is becoming a more difficult, I think, hardware environment for, for mobile devices. And so we'll see what that, uh, what that looks like. And at, at the same time, you do see Apple having opened up things like Apple Music and some of their services to other, uh, to other places and other platforms. Well, they, they've opened up to having their services on third-party devices, but they, you know, having third, other third-party services uh, play on a level playing field on their devices is, is really where the question is. And right. uh, it's been interesting reading some of the complaints because uh, they, they tend to, or anti-competitive complaints, and they, I think they tend to fall into uh, both an economic argument and a technology argument, the former being that, uh, you know, in terms of app store pricing, if Apple is going to take 30% on service pricing um, and, you know, service pricing, you know, it's a little more complicated than just buying an app because there's a sliding scale and you know, I think it goes down to 15% after a while. But nonetheless, if, um, if Apple is going to take a share of that revenue, and they don't have to take a share of their own revenue, then of course, you know, they have a, a competitive advantage when it comes to profitability of the service. And the other is a technological argument where uh, they, they seem to have been a little bit more open to relaxing some of the rules. So for example, uh, you know, the, the idea that they're opening up Siri now to, uh, you know, uh, to, to specify, for example, Spotify as a default uh, music service as opposed to Apple Music. Um, so, uh, but, you know, one of the things that, that kind of started this running up to the congressional hearing was this email app called Hey, uh, and uh, they did not bend. They did not bend there. In fact, they, you know, they threw it back to this developer and he made, you know, some kind of like ridiculous stub application to satisfy their requirements uh, and he's back in the app store. But even though Apple is a relatively small part of the market, they're big enough where they can't be ignored uh, for many developers, especially in the United States. Uh, so it remains to be seen um, how that's going to affect some of these emerging remote cloud services, uh, you know, where you would think the US would be a prime market uh, and you would think that, uh, at least in the case of Microsoft, a lot of Xbox users are also iPhone users. So. Uh, yeah. Uh, so more to come there, certainly. And the final story we wanted to hit on before closing out this week's episode was the uh, more Microsoft news, this time uh, yes. as it relates to their potential acquisition of the, the U.S. assets of TikTok. Um, and not only the U.S., but also some of the uh, Commonwealth as well. It looked like uh, Canada, Australia, In New India, Ze New Zealand, India, perhaps. It? Yeah, was, oh. was it? Well, oh, right. I, I don't know. Well, that I saw so first, India, but I saw uh, Canada. I believe in the the blog post that Microsoft released on Sunday. It mentioned Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. Right, the, the five eyes countries. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. No coincidence. And, and uh, so they haven't yet settled on a on a uh, price yet. We're seeing ranges anywhere from uh, ten billion to thirty billion. Uh, they anticipate closing down negotiations by the September fifteenth deadline. Uh, at the same time, Facebook introduced Instagram Reels, its TikTok competitor, 
which allows users to create and publish 15 second videos. Uh, it's essentially embedded into the Instagram platform. So it, it's got to definitely um, be on the docket for Microsoft to consider what, uh, what a viable competitor for that service will, will uh, do to do its valuation. Instagram has, I would say done a pretty good job and Facebook broadly has done a pretty good job at competing with companies that, uh, that enter into their space or into enter anywhere near their space. Really. Uh, we've seen them do a pretty good job when they introduced Instagram stories to, uh, to, you know, to compete there. And they've done a very good job of kind of solidifying their leadership there. Uh, I think there's probably a good chance of them solidifying their, their uh, leadership in this space with Instagram reels. So we'll see how that, uh, how that goes at the same time, Microsoft has a, a bit of a, of a, um, what should we call uneven history when it comes to acquisitions in the consumer space. Uh, things like Minecraft have been uh, arguably great acquisitions for them and probably worth what at the time felt like a very steep price. And yet there have been other acquisitions where they've had to uh, mark them down significantly or as they've, they've dissolved them or sold them off. Uh, never really materialized like they promised at the onset of those acquisitions. Yeah, I... Um... I would say both companies are uh, getting better uh, over time with with the strategies you just uh, you just detailed, Sean. So uh, so the thing with Minecraft was that it really allowed Microsoft to take the reins of this what is really kind of a, a, a you know youth programming environment, um, and they've been able to leverage it into some Hololens integration. I've read a couple of articles now on why would Microsoft care about this and haven't really read an excellent uh, explanation, but um, uh, you know, you have to use, you have to stretch the imagination a little bit and say, uh, there are things, there are elements there of augmented reality, there are elements there of AI motion capture that could be useful, for example, for designing robotic systems um, down, down the road. Uh, so it's, it's clear that, uh, you know, or, or facial recognition um, uh, particularly across multiple uh, ethnicities, multiple countries of origin. Uh, I, I saw that as one explanation. Uh, so, um, you know, go, just putting aside what it might mean for TikTok's business, uh, I, I could see, you know, this, um, uh, this, this possibly being a longer term win for, for Microsoft. And as for Facebook, I, I think the lesson there has been, uh, <laughs> you know, whenever they've tried to integrate something with Instagram, it's, it's worked out pretty well. Whenever they've tried to compete by creating a new app, it's invariably failed. So, so they, uh, you know, they, they understand that that app, you know, Instagram is just a juggernaut and, and that it has a community that is willing to try new things and where uh, new variations on media, like, like these reels uh, things, uh, expand very quickly. So, um, yeah, so, I, so yeah, go ahead. Well, when I look at Microsoft's interest in TikTok, Microsoft is always a buyer. Google is always a buyer. Amazon's always a buyer. Facebook's always, I mean, they're always in the market. They're always exploring 
these type of acquisitions. I, I would argue Microsoft has a very long history of making very large acquisitions, but I'm sure that Facebook has looked at this, though though they sure. probably didn't look too hard because the uh, antitrust scrutiny is already very strongly on them, and they know. Well, that, that's what I was wondering about Google actually, because you know they've been looking for a social hit, yeah. you know, for for at least a decade. Yeah, so. I and and I'm sure they've looked at it and, and they're looking at it now, and uh, with that, you know, that makes sense to them. I, I think Microsoft has always had a desire to bring in the next generation to attract the next mm-hmm. generation. And I think that has influenced a lot of their acquisitions over the years. This fear uh, that th- their user base is getting old. Um, and so they're, they're always kind of looking at how do we ensure that we can kind of lock into the, to the next generation of, of users. Um, and that's, I think been, some of the things that has influenced their decisions, at least on the consumer side, uh, you, you know, you look at the launch of Xbox, you look at all, all of the things they've done. It's to lock in a, a younger user, bringing uh, some of the, you know, tablets and other computing devices into classrooms was mm-hmm, designed mm-hmm. to influence a younger user and keep them on the platform. And so I feel like that's in their DNA just a little bit when they look at, acquisitions and so this kind of fits within that uh that you know that mindset big price point so there's not going to be a lot of competitors for it uh definitely attractive to the younger user not totally sure what we're going to do with it yet but you know let's just see and and that seems to be some of the approach that they take and i I think uh, that's a, a great point you make sean about competition um in that some of the other acquisitions they made nokia very much a red ocean space, you know, they were getting beaten badly. Uh, of course, there's the threat of Instagram, but by and large, there's really not a lot out there like TikTok right now, just like right. there was not a lot out there like Minecraft. Um, so it's an opportunity to take a leader in the space and, and build on it while, you know, kind of staying away from a lot of the sharks and other sharks in the ocean. Yeah. That's probably a good place to end it for this week's episode of Techspansive. Again, I'm Sean Dubrovac. You can find me on Twitter at Sean Dubrovac. And I'm Ross Rubin. You can find me on Twitter at Ross Rubin.